way into heaven. And a guy named Martin Luther, who was an Augustinian monk, Catholic priest, began reading Scripture differently, began reading actually the, the very re words we're going to hear today, Avery's going to read to us. And he began to see that that was the wrong message. That was not biblical. And that we are not, we don't earn our way into heaven. And that, in fact, we are saved by grace. We, 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 can't do any, we can't do enough to earn our way into heaven. But in fact, our, our, our being in heaven is a pure gift. Our being saved is a pure gift from God. It has nothing to do with what we've done in order to earn it. So that was sort of a pivot point in, in human history, and that's really what began the whole movement of what we call the Protestant church, right? So the Catholics, uh, Episcopalians, and Methodists, and Presbyterians. Presbyterians kind of got started in Scotland. That's why, you know, I'm kind of like this. Um, and they came over and began the Presbyterian church in America, but then there's Methodists, and there's uh, Baptists, and so many different kinds of Protestant churches all stem forth from this moment when Martin Luther said, we're reading the Bible the wrong way. We don't earn our way into heaven. We can only get into heaven by God's grace. Okay? You with me? Okay. So Avery's going to read to us from one of those passages of Scripture that uh, sort of turned the light bulb on for Martin Luther. So... Good morning. This scripture passage is from Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 21. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that the church, the wisdom of God, and its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purposes that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray, therefore, that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in tr the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Avery. You know, if you had come to the 9 o'clock service or just waited to come to the 11 o'clock service, you wouldn't have to be subjected to my legs because I'd be wearing a robe at that point in time. So, uh, so I'm really sorry. Um, <clears throat> so let's pray. 
Thanks, O oh God, for your word, and we thank you that your word still breathes and still speaks. Spoke to a monk 500 years ago, and the world changed. It can speak to us today, and the world can change. So we pray, Lord, that you will allow these words to come to <clears throat> amplify that which was read and, and point to the one that we know is the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So in your life and in my life, there is a dividing line between what you feel you have to do and what you feel you get to do. In your life and mine, there's this dividing line between what you feel you have to do and what you feel you get to do. So, back when I was a young teenager, I remember a time when my father invited me to go with him to see a movie, some kind of an adventure movie. I don't remember much about it other than that. But what I do remember is that I was a young teenager and I had copped an attitude. An attitude such that I was not incredibly appreciative that my father had invited me to go to this movie. I know this kind of attitude, this teenage attitude, escaped you when you were a teenager. <laughs> so it was with this attitude that I made known to my father through body language and facial expression and my general demeanor that I was simply assenting to go to this movie with him and that he was kind of lucky. Clearly, it was something I felt I had to do. Well, my father caught on to this attitude, and at one point leading up to the day we were to go to the movie, he suggested that maybe it was a better idea that we don't go. Oh, no, I said, oh, no, with martyred tone. Oh, no, we'll go. My father, by grace, bit his lip. And so as to sweeten the pot, well, uh, my father offered for me to invite a friend to go with us to the movie. So on my way home from school one day uh, with my best friend, I said to him that my father wanted to take me to this movie and I kind of felt like I had to go and, and would he like to go with me? Now my friend came from a home where his dad did not invite him to go to movies, did not invite him to do anything. His dad came home each day and sat down with a 12 pack of beer and drank himself to sleep. So, when I told my friend about this movie, to which I had to go, imagine my early teenage surprise when my friend said, oh, really? Wow. Really? You, you, your dad's going to take that? Man, sign me up. And I felt at that moment my adolescent attitude beginning to evaporate. This, this movie I felt I had to go to, I now realize that my friend here felt like he got to go to. And isn't it funny how these things work, how now that my dad is eight years gone and that that story is 50 years old, that the movie title is not here anymore. But the time with my father is deep in here. In your life and mine, there is a dividing line between, between what you feel you have to do and what you feel you get to do. And that's true, right, in many circles of our life, right? You sit down with a friend and you complain about how you have to slep your children all over the place, you know, from soccer game to orthodontist to the library, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you realize that you're sitting across from this person who doesn't have any children and desperately wishes it were not so. And while you have to cart your kids around, she would put it another way. She would say, oh, 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 oh,
you get to cart your children around. You crawl out of bed in the morning, go to work long before the sun has even begun to think about rising, and you lament as you're crawling out of bed about all the things that you kind of have to do that day. You have to get to work. You have to beat that client you don't particularly want to talk to. You have to go get on a plane at the end of the day. You are not going to be able to see your family for a couple of days. A little later, as you're driving out your driveway, <clears throat> you're still in the pre-dawn darkness. The beams of your headlights flash across your next-door neighbor's house, and you remember that, that he lost his job four months ago. And you wonder if he's looking out the window of you pulling out your driveway and saying, look what he gets to do. He gets to go to work today. So in your life and mine, there is this dividing line, right, between what we think we have to do and what we think we get to do. So it has been, as I said, 500 years since a German monk took it upon himself to nail onto the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral 95 theses, 95 protestations about the church's reading or misreading of the Bible. Little did that monk know, Martin Luther, little did he know that when he pounded those nails into that door, he was actually pounding a crack into history, the history of Western civilization. The world and also the church would never be the same. Human beings, very view of God would never be the same. A dam burst in 1517 and the Christian sea spread across Europe and later the world and a flood of tributaries with each own distinct understanding of the nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how best to worship God, how best to respond to God. Tomes have been written about the Reformation. Mingy and Will Brown are teaching a great class on the history of the Reformation. And so one sermon is not going to suffice when it comes to all those streams that flowed, including our own Scottish Presbyterian tributary. But, you know, just one drive this afternoon through Sarasota to see the Lutheran Church and the Episcopal Church and the Baptist Church and the Methodist Church and the Congregational Church and the Independent Church, all of that would be less than enough as to how significant a movement the Reformation was 500 years ago. Even the Catholic Church in many ways changed as a result of this great break. And I suppose, as I mentioned before, if there was any one idea, any one reading of Scripture that cracked this dam of Christian thought and practice, it was Martin Luther's claim, Martin Luther's reading of the Apostle Paul, where he read, where he read in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace and not by works. For by grace, Paul says, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace alone. Sola gratia, the Latin. For 1,500 years, the church had little by little been imposing upon her people this notion that, that if you really wanted to be sure of being saved, you had to pay more money, you had to put in more time, you had to say more prayers, you had to confess more sins. Only in that way could you be certain of your salvation and the salvation of those you loved. But Luther pounded on the door and said, Sola gratia. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Which is to say that we get to live life not with any sense of what we have to do, but with every sense of what we get to do. The Reformation drew a dividing line between what it meant to be in relationship with God and that life in God, life with Christ, was not about what we had to do, but rather what we get to do.
Because you see, it was the Reformation that helped civilization to know and to see that from the very beginning of our existence, life is all about gift. We live our lives out of giftedness, not out of guilt, not out of groveling, not out of, you know, grumbling over what we have to do. Life is lived out of giftedness. Life is lived out of an appreciation for what we've been given. And that means going all the way back to the beginning of your life and seeing that the treasure you received in your body and your soul, you made absolutely no contribution to. You did not pick your brain. You did not pick your personality. You did not pick your IQ. You did not pick your talents. You did not pick your ability and capacity for employment. None of that you had anything to do with. You were not consulted in your creation. I hate to break the news to you. It's all gift. Sola gratia. Grace alone. Whatever life you live, you live out of giftedness. And whatever life you and I live in eternity, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Knox said, we live again only out of grace. Our temporal life, our eternal life is a pure gift. Solo gratia. In other words, and I hate to break this news to you, in other words, <laughs> you are a freeloader. I woke up some of you. When was the last time you got called a freeloader? You are a freeloader because you got what you didn't pay for. You got from the very beginning of your life what you did not pay for. Now, that's the first half of the Reformation, that acknowledgement that everything comes as gift. But the second half of the Reformation said this, and that is that joy comes, our, our real joy comes when we recognize first the giftedness, and then we also recognize that life is not about what we have to do, but because of our giftedness, life is about what we get to do. I not only get to live, I now get to live in response to the giver. A freeloader takes without giving, a joyful child of God receives the gift and then says, <laughs> wow, look what I get to do. L look what I have. I get to live my life with this. I get to live in response to the giver. And here's the amazing thing about the Reformation. This amazing life of get to versus have to, there is not anybody who gets to tell you what to do. Nobody tells you what to do. No preacher, no teacher, no parent, no child, no TV evangelist. You are born with the freedom to do, with what, you, to do what you will with what you have. It's all on you. Paul says, of this good news, in other words, of this grace, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Of this grace alone, of this sola gratia, I've become a servant. Not, oh, no, no, not because I have to, but because I get to. The story is told of two young girls who were given the chance along with their parents to visit the famous opera singer Beverly Sills before her performance at the Metropolitan Opera. 
And so after a brief visit and a picture, the father said, okay, girls, we better go. Miss Sills has to sing tonight. And immediately, Beverly Sills replied, I, I know I don't have to sing tonight. And he said, well, what, what do you mean? He says, I got the program here. It says you're supposed to sing tonight. She said, no, I, I, don't, I don't have to sing tonight. She said, but, but it's the program. He says, you know, is it a misprint? What's, what's the problem? And she said, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't have to sing tonight. I don't have to sing tonight. I get to sing tonight. I get to stand before a hall of people, and I get to use my voice like no other gets to use their voice. No, my friend, I will never have to sing. I will always get to sing. So can I get personal? 500 years ago, a monk pounded a bunch of statements on the door of a church. <clears throat> and the result of it is 500 years later, we're here today. We are here today, this little group of people in this place. We're here. We're connected back to that 500 years. And we get to come to a place called church. And, you know, ever since I was a baby, I, I got to come to a place called church. And it was at this place called church that I was told that God loved me unconditionally, God loved me into being, God loves me into living, and God will love me until the end. I got to hear that every Sunday. God, church was where I came to be reminded that my life was all about the love of God, receiving it and giving it. Not because I had to, but because I got to. And the church was where I got to go to sing. I got to sing, not because I sing well. <laughs> I got to make a joyful noise unto the Lord with my voice. And I got to do that without embarrassment because I got to sing to the Lord a joyful song. And church was a place I got to go to listen and to read and to hear the good old story of Jesus and his love. I got to go to Sunday school and youth group. I got to go to a place where I could have good, clean fun, a place to go so that I wasn't other places doing stupid things. Church was the place where I got to find out that life was not only about me. Life was about my neighbor. Life was about folks who didn't get the same cards dealt with as I, was, as I had been dealt with. And, and that life wasn't about how many cards I had. Life was about how many cards everybody had. Church was the place where I went in order to laugh with those who laughed and weep with those who weep. Church was where I got to figure out, really, what did God want to do with my life? Oh, of course, there were so many times when I, you know, like that movie fell, I had to go, I had to go instead of I got to go. So when I was in ninth grade, my father took me behind the Iron Curtain into the heart of the Soviet Union, Moscow, Leningrad, East Berlin, and my dad made a point to walk me up to all those beautiful churches and to show how they were boarded up, how they were locked, how they were desperately empty because there was no freedom of religion. And don't you ever, my father said, don't you ever take what you do on Sunday morning for granted. Because you know, boy, he says, religion, when it's something you have to do, that's when religion dies. Which makes me wonder why religion is dying in America. Because it is, at least Christianity is dying in America. It baffles me, and I wonder if it's because we think it's something we have to do. The church is somewhere you have to go. That, you know, money is something you have to give, and, and the time is something you, you, know, you feel you have to sacrifice. But that's missing the whole point. No, we get to be a part of a church that makes a difference. We get to worship and freely sing joyfully. We get to study our Bibles. We get to hand out food and tutor children. We get to build palm centers where the next generation of kids are going to come and learn that God loves them without question 
vision or condition, we get to partner with missionaries who are going to dangerous places. We get to hear even this pastor say it's going to be even more difficult and challenging in the next year to be able to do what we feel we need to do. But you know what? We don't want, right? We don't want religion to die on this corner because we want it to grow and to thrive because it's grace alone by which we're saved. And it's just what I started with, and it's what I'll end with in my life, and life every day in between is living with that good news. Sola gratia. Bang, bang, bang. Luther parts, bangs those theses on the door, saved by grace. And we are saying it 500 years later because that's the news that never gets old. Good news never gets old. And we will never get old either if every morning we wake up and we take in that great gift again, that grace again, and we say to ourselves and we say to the world, this is what I get to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, thank you for your grace. <clears throat> Each of us can kind of take a peek inside of our lives and say, oh boy, there's all so much that if God kind of knew really what I was thinking or what I was feeling, if God really had an eye on all those things I did in the past day, week, month, year, oh boy. I would be disqualified from the kingdom of God, but thank you, oh God, that we are saved not by what we've done or what we've not done. We are saved purely by your grace. You love us even when we can't love ourselves. And you always welcome us into your kingdom. So Lord, help us to open our lives up so that life becomes more not about what we have to do. Hmm. Hmm but about what we get to do. In Jesus' name, amen.